tonight. Tonight is your night. Have faith that Jesus will touch you. I believe bondages and addictions will be broken tonight in Jesus' name. If you're dealing with drugs, pornography, alcohol, tonight is your night for freedom. Every curse is broken tonight in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, I break every spirit of witchcraft over your life in Jesus' name. Jesus died on a bloody cross so that you can be free. He took a punishment for your sin, a punishment for my sin. Jesus tells us in the scripture we must repent. We must turn from our sin, turn towards Jesus. And put our faith and our trust in Him. It's not the lame walking. It's not people being raised from the dead, which this ministry has seen. The greatest miracle of all is salvation. Being set free from your sin. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. Jesus wants to touch you tonight. What's impossible with men is possible God. Come on, cover the earth, man. That is awesome, is it not? I'm excited to uh, get to introduce you guys to Paul Maurer, who I have quickly begun to uh, really fall in love with very rapidly. Uh, He's got to meet tonight. I've heard many things about, and just seeing this video um, is exciting to me. Um, Paul is also a part of uh, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry for some period of time, and uh, the man is on a mission to cover the earth about... Jesus Christ. I can't help but be friends with a dude like that. Will you guys put your hands together and welcome Paul as he comes to the stage? Brother, just do whatever it is that you do, man. And um, 
We're so excited to have you uh, be a part of our service here, and uh, I like that, that very first thing, freedom, man. That's, that's what we're about to, so God bless you, man. Amen. Take you your so time much. and uh, so have your way. Well, it is good to be here tonight at Freedom Church, and I've heard so many amazing things about Pensacola House of Prayer. I was on staff here at a church for many years, and I was never able to come for, because of some various reasons and my responsibilities. However, I'm so thankful for Pastor Arnie and Tony and the leadership team. Can you just let them know that you appreciate them and what they do for the kingdom? The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due, and especially those that preach and teach. They're worthy of double honor. So I honor you tonight. Honor Tony. Thank you so much for uh, letting me come and share. My mother is here tonight. She's right here. If you could wave your hand. And my mother is an on-fire prayer warrior, and she's an intercessor. And my sister, my brother-in-law, Brian, they're in the back, if you could wave in the back. There they are, yeah. Glad they could come. So I did a one-year apprenticeship for Daniel Kalenda at Christ for All Nations. And Daniel's the successor to the evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. Now, if you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, if you're in Africa right now, he's a household name. Everybody knows who he is. He's like the Billy Graham of Africa. So this is pretty crazy, but Reinhard Bonnke has preached the gospel to more people face-to-face than anyone else in the history of the world. In the history of the world, more than Billy Graham. Billy Graham has reached more through television, but as far as face-to-face ministry, just preaching the gospel, nobody has reached more. And so his successor is Daniel Kalenda. I know Daniel from Bible school, and Daniel invited me to be a part of an apprenticeship program to learn this type of ministry. And that wasn't my crusade. That was a Christ for all nations crusade. And Daniel, my friend, he's preached the gospel to 34 million people. And he's only 34 years old. And immediately the vision for my life just increased. And I look at how many people he's reached for, for the gospel. I've had a crazy year. I've been all over the world. I've been in Pakistan, India, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, China, uh, just got back from uh, Sri Lanka just three weeks ago, and if you could throw up that first picture. And uh, we, what I did was I shared a gospel with Doug Gaiman from Globe International. Anybody know Doug? He's a great, great man. And we were in the hill country with the Sri Lankan Tamils, and the Tamils are very, very poor people. So I went to an area of 5,000 people, no churches, turn to the person next to you and say, no Christians. Zero, none, none that we knew of. And so before the crusade even started, Buddhists were complaining to the police and tried to get the meetings shut down because they knew what was going to happen. They're like, these Americans are here to convert all the Hindus to Christianity. But we had favor in the crusade. The crusade went forward. So if you go to the next picture. So this is me preaching. Actually, I'm, actually, I'm praying for the sick the uh, second night of the crusade. And all of these people you see in this picture, they're Hindu. Every single one of them. And like, uh, like you're saying about the dot, they have the dot, okay? You know they're Hindu, right? You can go to the next one. This is a Hindu woman that was healed. She, she couldn't use her right arm for three years, and she lifted it. She came, she came forward and received Christ, got healed in her body. And so if you go to the next one. Now this, look at this picture very closely because this... This is truly amazing because we did a three-night crusade. We worked with an apostle named Yoganathan. Yoga has planted over 100 churches in Sri Lanka. And so this right here is 
a three-night crusade. This is a Sunday morning service and a church plant. So a pastor named Pastor Ramish relocated his family to live among these people and pastor them. These people you see in this picture are former Hindus. Except for about two or three of them, every single person in this picture. So I raised the money to pay the rent so they can continue to meet and be discipled. Isn't that amazing? That's truly amazing. So I went into a Hindu-dominated area with no believers. I preached the gospel. You pray for the sick. People are healed. They're set free. And then you plant a church so people can be discipled. And the kingdom of God is advancing. Crusade ministry can be very effective if there's good follow-up and church planning involved. So back in December 2013, I had an encounter with the Lord. And he spoke to me very clearly about five countries to focus on for crusades. And they are the following. Pakistan, Indonesia, uh, India, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh, which is interesting, some of the countries you guys have been to recently. I did crusades in three of those five countries already this year. And, but my first crusade was in Pakistan. Now, let me tell you about Pakistan. I had a friend of mine that was there before. He said, Paul, Pakistan is like the armpit of the world. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what to expect. Like, you're there, and it looks like, like a war zone everywhere. I mean, it's completely desolate. Wherever, it's worse, looked worse to me than India. But how many of you know that God loves the Pakistani people? And of course, they're, most of them are they're a Muslim people. It's a very sketchy place. There's Al-Qaeda in Pakistan. It's where they caught Osama bin Laden. According in the area where they had where we had the crusade, according to Operation World, this place of Punjab, there's less Christian workers per population than anywhere in the world. And I was thinking, you know, I need some pretty good prayer support if I'm going to go to Pakistan. And I said, God, are you sure? Like I really prayed about it. I'm like, Lord, do you really want to go to Pakistan? That's a sketchy place. It's dangerous. There's terrorists there. People kill people. And um. So I'm at the One Thing Conference. I don't know if you've ever been to the One Thing Conference in Kansas City. I love going. I was there last December, and I'm just walking down the hallway, and I run into Lou Engle of The Call. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was at The Call in 2000, and, you know, there's 400,000 people there and just praying and fasting. So I've followed Lou Engle for 14, 15 years. And um, so I started talking to Lou, and really one of the top intercessors, in my opinion, in the world you know, and that's just the call on his life. And Lou began to share with me that there's a shift happening with the call. And he said the shift is going to be signs and wonders, and it's going to be stadiums full with the proclamation of the gospel. And then he went on to talk about unreached people groups and how he's been targeting specific areas of unreached people in his prayers with him and his team. So I told him about my crusade in Pakistan, and he agreed to personally pray and fast for the Pakistan crusade, him and his team in California. And so all the plans and preparations for the Pakistan crusade were going great. I had to raise a ridiculous amount of money. I had to raise about $30,000. That itself was a big faith walk for me. But I had a, a pastor's conference, a plan Lahore, Pakistan, and a crusade plan just a few hours away. Everything was going great. And then four weeks before the crusade, there was a suicide bombing in Lahore. And it made national news, CNN, Fox News. A suicide bomber walked into a church, blew themselves up, killed 14 people, injured 60 or 70 people. So the natural, things didn't look too good. 
you know, all I had was the word of the Lord that I should go. And this crusade almost didn't happen, but God loves the Pakistani people. So instead of me really talking more about it, I want you to see this next video, and I want you to see what the Lord did. Two suicide bombers have reportedly blown themselves up in Lahore, killing more than a dozen people and injuring many more. in Pakistan. I'll tell you what, before I went, I honestly looked at my life and I said, this could be the end of my life. I met with Daniel Kalenda before I left. He's like, Paul, just so you know, you could really be killed in Pakistan. And I told my video guy, I said, uh, just so you know, there's a chance if you come with me, you may not come back alive. And he talked to his wife, and he obviously came, took the footage, and we were completely safe. But you never know. It's a very sketchy part of the world. So kind of the strategy behind that, I'm sure you have lots of questions. So we rented dozens of trucks, just these huge trucks, and sent them out into 50 unreached villages all over this huge area. And we just picked people up and said, hey, it's a Jesus Heals meeting, which Muslims believe in that Jesus heals. And we would pick them up and take them to the crusade, and preach the gospel, preach a simple gospel message. And so instead of you know having small meetings and going to small little villages, which is great in itself, you can reach 50 villages at one time and reach a whole region with the gospel. 
And so the strategy is you try not to try not to ever go to the same area twice. You just keep doing these all over until you reach the whole nation. So that's the strategy behind it. Um, you know, and that you saw it's the first time in my ministry that I saw legit miracles, like people saying, "Oh my gosh, like I was blind and now I can see," and you know, I have I was deaf and now I can hear, and demonized people set free and delivered. I mean, the Bible was just just coming alive. You know, as it said in the video, churches are being planted from the crusade and as we speak, and pastors are getting phone calls from former Muslims, even to this day, that receive Christ because they are too afraid to fill out a decision card because they come from a Muslim family. And we don't understand what that's like, but if you're, if you're Muslim and you turn from your faith and you take on Christianity or another religion, your family often will disown you. And they'll act like you don't even exist. And I was talking to my crusade coordinator. I'm like, is it really true that in Pakistan there's honor killings, that, that your own family would actually take your life? And he looked at me really serious. He said, Paul, it happens all the time. All the time. But the Lord is just doing incredible things. And these are some of the areas that God's called me to. And I, I don't have to twist my arm to go like, the darker the area with less Christians, the more excited I get. I'm so excited about Pakistan because I know there's Muslims, you know. I love going to Sri Lanka because they're all Hindu. You know what I mean? I don't want to speak to Christians, you know. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but I like speaking to you all tonight, right? So I have a newsletter. It's, uh, it's right over, there's a table set up right over here. And I would love to keep you informed of what God is doing in my life and the nations. And I give lots of updates and just really exciting stuff what the Lord is doing. And if you sign up tonight, tonight only, right? Because I like you. I'll give you a free copy of this book. It's called Your Kingdom Come uh, by my mentor, Daniel Kalenda. And this is a perfect place to give it out because it's unlocking the miraculous through faith and prayer. And so take advantage of that. If you sign up, give me your name and address. You can grab a free copy on the way out. I just want to be a blessing to you. So tonight, I'm going to do more uh, teaching than preaching. Sometimes it's just really refreshing, not have to try to work something up and be exciting, you know? I just want to teach. Is that okay? Good. So this is a prophetic message, and what I believe is about to hit the earth, and what you can do to prepare yourself if you want to be a part of it. And a while back, I had an experience with the Lord. I'm a very prophetic person. Sometimes I get these weird experiences that I don't always understand. It sort of happened to me when I was 16 years old. But in this experience, I went to bed at night. I went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I felt the Holy Spirit, like the glory of God, just come in the room. And just like electrified my body. And then the Lord showed me a, a picture and a vision. And on this vision that he showed me, it was very, very clear. There was a, there was a line a vertical line. It was labeled time and history. And then I saw another line that ran into that line, and that line was labeled the power of God. Okay? So, so I saw a line labeled time and history, and the other line that ran into it was, was labeled the power of God. So we're at a place in time and history where the power of God is about to intersect, and we're about to see the greatest outpouring we've ever seen. You know, and, the, and then the Holy Spirit said something to me very, very clearly. And he said, Paul, he said, I'm looking for people with pure hearts that I can use. I'm looking for people with pure hearts that I can use. 
And it's, it's great that Pastor Arnie shared that verse earlier because it's in my notes. 2 Chronicles 69. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. If your heart is loyal to him, he wants to show himself strong. I believe we're on a collision course with the power of God. We're about to see things that we've only dreamt of. The Bible is just, and it's already starting, I believe. But again, the Lord's looking for people with pure hearts that he can use. I believe God is looking for people he can trust with his power. You know, God doesn't share his power with everyone. I've come to find that out throughout my life and the ministries I've been involved in and what I've seen. And I believe this is the reason. is because if you're not ready for it, it would completely destroy you. You look at these great revivals of the 40s and 50s. You know, you've got Oral Roberts and William Branham and A.A. Allen and people in the past like John Alexander Dowie. Not all of them ended well. Unfortunately, some of them went crazy and thought they were Elijah at the end of their life. Because all these miracles and healings started taking place, and then something happened, and they got deceived, okay? We're at, we're at you know, Joel 2.28. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You'll prophesy. You will dream dreams. You'll see visions. God said, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. You know, I really believe we're going to see that one billion soul harvest. I really believe it's coming. I've been in talks with some great men of God. Listen, there's some amazing things coming. I mean, you've got Luingo that rented out a huge stadium in California in, Mar- in uh, April of next year called the Call of Zusa, and they're going to pack out a stadium with 130,000 people. Bethel, the whole Bethel team's getting behind it. Man, it, we're living in such an exciting time, and God is pouring out His Spirit all over the world. But the Lord is looking for people with pure hearts that he can use. So when, I, when the Lord showed me this, the Lord took me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, which I don't know about you, but I love the Beatitudes because I feel like that's real Christianity. I feel like that's what's missing from the American church. That's a whole other sermon itself. But in Matthew, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but I've read that so many times in the past, and I never really knew what it meant. Like, Lord, what are you trying to say? So when I look at that scripture, bless the pure heart for they will see God. Number one, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And number two, what does it mean to see, to see God? Pure at heart. The Greek word for pure is katharos. It means free from stain or shame. Having a pure heart is the opposite of having a divided heart. I like what R.T. Kendall says. He says purity of heart means that a person is totally sold out to God. It means sincerity of motive. The motives are the why behind the what. You know, often in the church, we don't really look into motives and in people's motivations because they're on the inside. You can't see them. But why do we do the things we do? Is it to please man? Is it to impress people? Is it to be recognized or to get credit? If so, we have impure motives or we have mixed motives. You know what I love? You know I love Reinhard Bonnke? Because he's the real deal, and he's preached the gospel to more people than anyone in the history of the world, and yet he's such a humble 
man. And I could share several stories that I can't get in, into tonight to tell you about that. But Reinhard Bonnke says things like this. I only want people to see Jesus. That's it. He says, the great crowds are not my reward. The presence of Jesus is my great reward. I could show you a video in Lagos, Nigeria, of him preaching to 1.3 million people at one time. They had 200,000 altar workers. You can imagine the logistics that go behind something like that. I believe selfish ambition is a huge problem all across the body of Christ. In every country, everywhere you go. Listen, I never wanted to do crusades. I even told the Lord, I'm like, Lord, are you sure you have the right person? Because in myself, I feel a little bit inadequate to do something like that. And I really struggle with a lot. But the, but the Lord said to me, Paul, in your weakness, I'm going to be made strong. But when it comes to our will, our desires, we need to be pointing people to Jesus and not to ourselves. And the problem is when you get your eyes off of Jesus, you get pointed on every other thing. You get focused on every other, any, every other thing around you. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. We often forget that often. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave, him up, gave himself up for me. You know who I can tell if someone's been crucified with Christ? They start living by faith. All the selfish ambition is gone. All of their own dreams and all their own desires are gone. And they're fulfilling God's dreams for their life. That's why most people never reach their true potential. Because they're still full of self. Because they don't do what Jesus said. To deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. And it's not always easy. People often take the easy way out. You see, someone that has not been crucified with Christ, they still want control over their life. You know, we want con absolute control over our lives when God wants absolute surrender. But when you're dead to self, your Christianity looks like this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I believe that's the key, and I believe that's the difference. Because then people just see Jesus. There's no hidden motives. There's no hidden agendas. It's just Jesus. You know, when I first started ministry, you know, I was young. I was in my 20s, and I just wanted to do great things. And then in my youth ministry, I'd have a great meeting, and I would preach, and people would come forward, and I would have a sense of pride. Like, I am a good preacher and I, I wanted people to see me. Do you know what I mean? But honestly, I, if I had to be really truthful, I didn't always have the right motivations. I wanted people to see me. And then God took me through a process of stripping my heart of all that junk. And now I can preach to tens of thousands of people. In that video you saw in Africa, there was 200,000 people there. I can preach to the multitudes, and I don't feel anything. Because I belong to him. And all the ambition is gone. I just want people to see Jesus. And that's the honest truth. Being pure at heart, when I began, when I began preparing this message, the Lord began talking to me about 
I believe, a big obstacle to purity of heart. Man, if you want God to use you, you've got to get rid of this. Offense, unforgiveness, and bitterness. It's got to go. It cannot live in your heart. Matthew 24, 12 says this, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, if you're taking notes, write down that scripture. Now, this scripture is not talking about non-believers. It's talking about Christians like me and you that attend church. But it says, as the, the increase of wickedness grows, the love of not some, but the love of most will grow cold. This is pretty serious. So when I, in my, when I was 20 years old, I was interning at a, a church here in Pensacola, and we had 12 different interns. And it was a time in my life that God was really pruning me, and, and it, was just, it was an amazing experience with most of the interns except for one. And this guy, we just did not get along. I mean, he was annoying. He was kind of controlling you know, try to tell me what to do. We were peers, but he would try to tell me what to do, and we just had major personality clashes. And as this was happening, I didn't realize what was going on inside of my heart, but it really was turning into like a bitterness, and I couldn't stand being around him. I couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand him. And it was turning into bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. So during this season, again, I was about 20 years old, and I went to bed one night. True story. I woke up in the middle of the night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was paralyzed with fear. I felt this demonic presence in my room. I couldn't move, and I was able to kind of tilt my eyes to my left, and here, this room's completely dark, and I see this green glowing mask in my bedroom, a green mask in my bedroom, floating in the middle of the air, and I freaked out. I'm like, what the heck is that? So, of course, you say the word Jesus, and it's supposed to leave, right? So I, but I couldn't say the word Jesus. It wouldn't come like, I was paralyzed with fear, and I couldn't even get the word Jesus out. But eventually, I said Jesus. I was able to get it out of my mouth, and the demon left. And it freaked me out. So, I don't know if you've had an experience like this, but it's very real. It's very scary. So, I turned on the light. I went to bed with the light on because I was so freaked out. And when I woke up in the morning, the Holy Spirit very clearly spoke to me. He said, Paul, the reason that demon showed up in your room last night is because you opened the door through bitterness and unforgiveness. And you need to forgive that other intern. And you know, I didn't even realize what was going on inside of my heart. The heart's such an interesting thing. So many things can be going on and you don't even realize it. And so I forgave him that day, that very moment. I forgave him. I let it go. I gave it to the Lord. And the Lord did a miracle. We became best friends. I became a groomsman in his wedding. And I'm preaching at his church in two weeks up in Michigan. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. You know, unity is so important to the Lord. And how can we be doing ministry with this junk in our heart? God's looking for people with pure hearts that he can use. And when we go through all things in life and there's bitterness and unforgiveness, what we do is we create walls around our heart. And it's hard to give love and it's hard to receive love. Okay, so what does it mean to see God? Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to see God? Does it mean that we can see God when we die? 
Or does it mean that we can see him and experience him in this earth? I believe the scripture is, a, is talking about experiencing the glory of God. The glory of God is his manifest presence. It's the substance of who he is. And we can experience that here on this earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. You will be a carrier of the glory of God. You will see God at work in and through your life. I love what R.T. Kendall says. He says, seeing God is seeing a measure of his glory here on the earth. It is what Moses experienced. It is what Jesus is promising to you and me if we maintain pure hearts. If we want to walk in the glory, if you want to see things you've never seen before, this, there's this whole movement about miracles and healings, and I think it's great. I think it's needed. But you're never going to see it if you're not intimate with Jesus, if you're not full of his presence and his glory. You know where that comes? It comes through this, the secret place of prayer. You and Jesus shut up in a room, and he just fills you with his glory and fills you with his presence and then when you go out there, Jesus just leaks out of you. So some people say, well, Paul, what's the secret to healings and miracles? Jesus. There is no secret. Just hang out with Jesus, and he comes out of you. It's amazing. Like, really, that's the secret. If you want to know the secret to healings and miracles, spend time with Jesus, and it will start happening. That's it. Just lock yourself in a room and start praying. But if you want to walk in the glory, you need a pure heart, you need pure motives, and you need to be dead to yourself. So the Lord began speaking to me about time. And uh, I went through this experience, and I had this, this download from the Lord. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me this. He said, I have a different clock that I will use in the last days. And he said there will be an acceleration of time. And I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 11, verse 21. This is the New King James. It says that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied like the days of heavens above the earth. So the scripture talks about a multiplication of time. So I went through this season last year of just waking up at 2.30 in the morning because the Lord told me to do it for a couple months, which is very difficult for me to do, trust me. And sometimes I fell asleep, just to be honest. But when I did this and I was obedient, the Lord started giving me just these crazy downloads, stuff that, it, just awesome stuff. And this, this is one thing he spoke to me. He said, Paul, now is the season, now is the hour for my divine power to hit the earth. Like a wave, a tidal wave, I will hit the earth. The earth will groan and it will quake at the coming of the king. O dawn, awaken, awaken, see the coming glory of the Lord. His unveiling draws near. What used to take a year will take a month. What used to take a month will take a day. Time is accelerating because I am the author of time. And then he said time, it's going to happen in times, divine times, divine seasons, and divine places. It's interesting. He said what used to take a year will take a month. What used to take a month will take a day. And it's scriptural, Deuteronomy 11:21, about a multiplication of time. And it's already happening in the natural. Look at this. I did some research on this. If you want to travel from Florida to Michigan in the year 1800, it would take three weeks on a horse and buggy. And I'm sure it would be extremely miserable. Now I'll do it in about two weeks. It'll take just about three hours. 
in the year 1800 to cross the Atlantic Ocean to Europe. It used to take about a month to get across, and you, you go through all the storms, and people, you know, crazy things happen. And now, it takes just a few hours. You know, we can communicate and plan things so much quicker than 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. Information's never been so accessible. I believe things that were hidden are now being revealed because it's the fullness of time. And even inventions and ideas, like even the light bulb, do you really think that he was smart enough to create that on his own? No, that was a God, even though he wasn't saved, I'm not even sure where he's at with the Lord. God is the, the creator, and he's the inventor, and he gives men these ideas to further his agenda. Things like the light bulb and the telephone and the internet. God gave these ideas to man because he's speeding up time as we approach the end of the age. And I believe there's going to be a great harvest of souls like the church has never seen. Perhaps, this is just me talking, perhaps it could be a quick process. Maybe it'll just be a few years, I don't know. But I do know it's going to be in divine times, in divine seasons, in divine places. And the stadiums are going to be filled. I already told you about the call of Zusa in April of next year. Lou's going to Lou Engle's going to fill a stadium with 130,000 people, and there's going to be signs and wonders, and Bethel's getting behind it, and, and Daniel Kalenda, Christ for All Nations, are getting behind it as well. You know, Habakkuk 2.14 is really the, the scripture from my ministry, and it's this. And this is, a, this is a prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This has not yet been fulfilled. We're entering into amazing times. And God, as we enter into these end times, God is revealing more of himself and how he works. Are you guys with me tonight? Good. I mean, I usually don't get this deep in this stuff, but I feel like I could with you guys, if that's cool. You know, things have been hidden throughout the ages. That's now being revealed because we're living in the fullness of time. You know, in order for, a key point tonight is this, in order for this end times move of God to happen in its fullness, I believe the prayer movement and the mass evangelism movement need to work together hand in hand. I believe that with all of my heart. And for a long time, the mass evangelism movement and the prayer movement were, for the most part, completely separate. And they kind of rose up separate from one another. And I never believed that was God's intention. You know, Jesus said to go. He said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Listen, we have a lot of people going. Do you know that? Thousands, tens of thousands of missionaries all over the world. We need people to go. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of missionaries going. The problem is that many are going without the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're not bearing fruit, and there's no power in their personal lives or ministry. Now, this is a problem. Now, Jesus said go, but before he said go, he said to stay and wait. How, when's the last time you heard about that? We hear about going a lot. When's the last time you heard stay and wait for the power? He said wait for the promise of the Father, and really what was the Holy Spirit baptism. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you go. We're getting it mixed up. We're saying go, 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 and people are going without the power, 
and we're not seeing power evangelism. We're not seeing as many healings and the miraculous because people are going without the Holy Spirit baptism. And without the baptism, we're doing ministry with limited power. God never intended for us to do ministry with limited power. We need the baptism. And once we get the baptism, we need to to pair up with missionaries that are going with the intercessors that are praying. And it's a match made in heaven. This is, I believe, God's desire and what he's doing right now in history. He's teaming up missionaries with intercessors. I've got people praying for me right now as I minister, and they're, that's what they're called to do. We need people going, and we need people backing them in prayer. How many of you know about Charles Finney? Charles Finney was born in uh, 1792, and he uh, passed away in 1875. He's considered by many to be one of the greatest revivalists in American history. And when Finney, when he preached in his city, the entire region was powerfully impacted by the presence of God. The presence of God could be felt for miles around. And churches would explode with new converts. And crime rates would plummet. And jails would be empty because so many people were coming to Christ. Can I get some more water? Is that all right? I just get really thirsty when I preach. And the cool thing, the fruit of Charles Finney's ministry, it's absolutely amazing. 80% of the people that came to Jesus in Finney's meetings are, were still serving the Lord 25 years later. That's real fruit. But there's another man that much, much has been written about Charles Finney, but very little is known about a man named Daniel Nash, who was a ministry associate of Charles Finney. He's very quiet. He very rarely attended any of the revival meetings where Finney preached. And Nash's ministry was one of prayer and intercession. And God brought Daniel Nash and Charles Finney together to form a team. So what would happen is, uh, before Finney would minister in an area, Nash would go before him. He would check into a hotel or like a boarding room, and he would start praying for the meetings. And he would totally devote himself to intercession and prayer. And sometimes he wouldn't come out of his room for days, even weeks at a time. And people would hear the groanings and the weepings, the intercession coming from his room. We need people like this again. And it's, it's happening. It's starting to happen. And, and after he felt a release he, in his spirit, he would contact Finney, and he'd say, it's time to come and do the meeting. Charles Finney would come, preach the gospel. The presence of God would permeate the meeting and the conviction of God would be there and would just overwhelm people to the result that multitudes came to Christ. And you look at the results, 80% of those converts were still serving Jesus 25 years later. And the results of this is entire regions were changed as a result of Finney's meetings. Entire regions. Historians have said the impact of these meetings was so great upon the people and society that the effects could still be seen a century or more later. The ministry of Charles Finney would have never had the same impact if it wasn't for the spiritual partnership of Daniel Nash, the intercessor. And it's interesting to note that after four months after Daniel Nash's death, Charles Finney left the itinerant revival ministry to pastor a church. Four months after. And the revivals that changed a nation began to wane. So Nash passed away. Finney stopped doing revivals and took on a pastorate. 
I think God's trying to tell us something. And Daniel Nash is buried in his simple grave in a cemetery behind a farmer's barn in upside New York. It was lost in history for many decades. Nobody even knew where it was. But one day they found it, and his tombstone reads this, Daniel Nash, prayer minister for Charles Finney. Although he was unknown to the masses, he was greatly known in heaven. I'll tell you what, I would much rather be greatly known in heaven than on this earth. And God used Nash, Nash in such a profound way to birth the revivals of Charles Finney, who reached the multitudes. And no doubt, the reward of Daniel Nash is the same eternal reward that Charles Finney is experiencing right now in heaven because of his role in intercession and prayer. You know, when it comes to missions, and I'm a big prayer guy. It's so good to be here. It really is. When it comes to missions, there's areas that have principalities and powers that have been, for the most part, completely unchallenged. You know, there's, there's areas in Sri Lanka that there's no Christianity in these regions. They're just dominated with Hinduism. No churches, no believers. They have really no way of knowing unless God supernaturally reveals himself in a dream or a vision. Places dominated by Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. And this is the last thrust of missions. It's the extremely unreached in dark areas. Oswald J. J. Smith, the missions mobilizer, he says this, We talk of the second coming when half of the world has never even heard of the first. Let that one sink in. And I believe the breakthrough in places like Nepal, which is awesome to hear about your stories, the breakthrough is going to happen when you team up inter intercessors with missionaries and mix it with fasting and prayer, and you target these areas, and then you go and you preach the gospel, and things break open. And Lou Engle's targeting very strategic areas in his prayers, places like northern India and Tibet, and places like Nepal and the Himalayas. Patrick Johnson, who wrote Operation World, he says this, he says, if you break through in northern India, you break through in the whole world for unreached people groups. Because there are more unreached people groups in these areas than anywhere else in the whole world. This is my goal. I want to get into northern India so bad. But you have to be wise about it. It's very dangerous. I would love to do a crusade one day in Nepal. I've got a contact there. We'll see what the Lord wants to do. But there's no way I'm going to do it if people aren't backing me in prayer. You know, in Sri Lanka, the whole team got sick. I was throwing up. I was nauseous. We had a pastor's training. Here I have a fever, doing my best to preach. And to be honest, I, at that moment, I failed to contact my prayer team, just to be honest. Pakistan, things were great. India, things went great. But Sri Lanka, I made a mistake. I mean, maybe I would have been fine either way. I don't, I'm not really sure. But prayer is what makes the difference. Now, if you have the gift of intercession, team up with a missionary or an evangelist who's doing something for the kingdom and pray your guts out for them. And you get to share in the rewards. Listen, you may never be on a screen. You never, may never be on the pictures of the meetings, but you'll be known in heaven and you share the great reward that comes through reaching unreached people. And if the Lord leads you to, I would love it if you'd be praying for me. And my newsletter out there in the foyer, um, there's a little place you can say, I would, like, I would like to pray with you, and I could add you to my prayer team, and I send out emails, and you could be lifting me up in your prayers. 
you know, God is doing just amazing things in the nations. And honestly, it's just an honor just to play a very, very small role in what God is doing. But it's going to take the prayer movement and the missions movement coming together for this great move to take place, to reach these areas that are completely dominated by Hinduism, Buddhism, and all these other false gods. Listen, it breaks my heart every time I go into these nations and I see all these false gods and idols and people bow down and worship these things. Why don't you bow, bow your heads and let's pray. You know, if you need to get your heart right with God in here, I know everywhere I go, there's always people that need to get their heart right with God. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity. You know, if you need forgiveness, you know, or maybe you, you want to control of your life, but tonight you're like, you know what? I need to lay it down. I need to give Jesus complete control. You say, I don't want Jesus just as my Savior, but I want him as the Lord of my life. If that's you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, Two, three. If there's anybody that needs forgiveness, there's hands, several hands going up. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody else? And you say, you know what? I need forgiveness tonight. Group number two, when I was sharing that story about when I got bitterness on forgiveness towards that intern and that whole story behind that, when I started sharing that, some of you immediately started thinking about someone in your life that you need to reconcile with, someone that you need to forgive, and you need to give to the Lord. I'm telling you, he wants to use you for the kingdom, but you've got to have a pure heart, and this is hindering you from what he wants to do in and through your life, and tonight's the night to let it go. If that's you, and you'd say, you know what? i got to forgive someone. I've got to let it go. If that's you, in the count of three, I'll ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. And there's many, many hands going up. You can put your hand down. If you could all stand up tonight. I just want to open up these altars. And I believe something happens when you step up from where you are and you let go of your pride and you come to the front and let God just work on that part of your life. Listen, I've been through it myself. I told, shared my stories tonight. I've been very open, very vulnerable. If you raise your hand for number two, or if you raise your hand for number three, if you've got some heart issues, you need God to just, you need to just let it go. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to make your way to the altar, get on your knees, and just spend some time with Jesus. Let him deal with these heart issues, because I'm telling you, he wants to use you, but you've got to take care of this stuff inside here. You want to flow in the miraculous? Take care of this. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So if that's you, if you raise your hand for number one or number two, I'm going to ask you to come forward right now, make your way to the front, get on your knees, and just start talking to Jesus. Say, God, I give it to you. Say, Lord, I, I lay it down. Just let go of your pride and make your way to the front. You know, forgiving others is a decision we make. It's not a feeling, it's a decision because God is their judge and not you. And it's making a decision to put it in his hands. And I believe tonight the grace is here. And I believe tonight when you leave this place, you're never going to be the same. 
You're even going to feel different when you let it go and you give it to him. So spend some time at the altar. Give it to Jesus.